1: If you are to live the Christian life, it is to be lived in and through the Holy Spirit, as we'll see today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. You know, the Christian life begins when God changes your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the broadcast, Abounding Grace, with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Pastor Gary, today will take us back to Galatians chapter 5 as we understand what it means to walk in the Spirit. You know, we don't have what it takes to live the Christian life, but God does, and we know that through His Spirit, He enables us to be exactly what He wants us to be. And that's what we see loud and clear here in Galatians 5 and 6. Here's Pastor Gary in today's broadcast of Way of Grace.
2: We've been talking about the true nature of the Christian life in order to expel from our thoughts that view that is so popular among Americans today that the Christian life is basically an all-out effort to bring our behavior into conformity to a divine system of law. And that is not what the Christian life is at all. The Christian life is a life lived in the spirit, by the spirit. It's not, first of all, a mechanical behavior of bringing yourself under a divine system of law. It is living in the spirit and walking by the spirit. Now, we spent several Sundays looking at what those phrases mean. We see that the Christian life begins when God changes your heart and makes you a Christian and enables you to repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then the Holy Spirit comes into your life and takes up residence there and brings all of the divine resources of God into your life to help you live as a Christian should. And he stays in your life throughout your existence on this planet until you die, at which time the Holy Spirit raises you from the dead. The Christian life is lived in the power of the Spirit. We recognize that we are weak. We don't have any strength. We don't have what it takes to live the Christian life, to bring our thoughts or our lives into conformity to God's demands upon us. But we know that the Holy Spirit within us brings, out, brings us a supernatural power to enable us to do and to be what God wants us to do and be as Christians. So the Christian life is living in the power of the Spirit, leaning on His power to be and do every day what God has called us to be and do in the pages of Scripture. And in living in the Holy Spirit, we are to walk in the Spirit. Remember there in verse 25, I said the word walk is a distinct word that means to walk by a rule. So that as we live in the Spirit and depend on the resources of the Holy Spirit, we walk by the Spirit's rule that is His guide for our living and loving in this life. So the Christian life is a spiritual thing, which spirituality manifests itself in our thoughts, our dispositions, all of our relationships, every aspect of our behavior, all of our motives, all of our imaginations and goals and priorities. But it starts not with us, not with what we are capable of doing, not with our external behavior. It starts with depending upon the Holy Spirit to give us the power to walk according to the rule of the Spirit, which is the Word of God inside and out every day of our lives. Then beginning with verse 26 of chapter 5, going down through verse 10 of chapter 6, we see this spiritual life described for us in a series of exhortations. We began looking at this last week, the character of a spirit-filled life, a life walking in the spirit described in these exhortations. And I made the point that no one but a Christian can live this kind of life. No one but Christians can obey these exhortations because you have to have the Holy Spirit in order to do it. You have to depend upon the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit's power in order to manifest the Christian life that is described here. Every person that is a true Christian will walk with the Holy Spirit and manifest this type of life. So let's look at these exhortations. Last week we looked at verse 26 that says, Let us not become boastful challenging one another, envying one another. In other words, as we walk by the Holy Spirit, we are enabled by the Spirit not to be boastful or conceited, not to be full of self-confidence and self-trust and self-love. Now, to be conceited is to be proud of yourself because of something you are, maybe something you've done something that you've inherited, something you possess. And that conceitedness shows itself in a couple of ways, provoking one another and envying one another. That is, if you are conceited, you're always trying to impress other people with how good you are, how much better you are than they are, or else you are always resenting other people that you believe to be better than you are, wishing that what they have, which you don't have, they would lose. But the whole life of the Christian is dominated not by conceitedness, but by an attitude of service toward other people, putting other people's interests above our own, loving other people as ourselves rather than loving ourselves. Walking in a spirit enables us not to live conceited lives, always provoking each other and envying one another. Then we looked at verse 1 in chapter 6, which says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Here we see a second trait of someone who's walking by the Spirit. If he is walking in the Spirit, he is enabled to restore with compassion a Christian brother or sister who has been overtaken or caught by some sin. We saw that an emphasis throughout this passage is one another. That is our business. That is to be our concern. We are to put the concerns and interests and well-being of one another even above ourselves as more important than ourselves. And the only way we are capable of loving people as ourselves is by the power the Holy Spirit gives. So as members of the body of Christ, when we see some brother or sister that has been caught off guard and committed some sin... That if they had really thought about that sin, if they had been more careful, they wouldn't have committed it. But they have fallen into it. They were overtaken by it and now they are facing the consequences of it. And we as Christians who are walking by the Spirit are to have compassion for that person. We will not be willing to leave that person to the consequences of their foolishness. And so we will seek to restore them. And remember, that word restore means to relocate a dislocated bone. It means that we want to get that person, which may sometimes be painful, relocated to his right place. We show our concern for him. We confront him with his error, how he made that mistake. We take into consideration his weaknesses, that he was caught off guard. And then we show him from Scripture how he can correct that situation and not fall back into that sin again and be surprised by it on another occasion. Now, not everyone can restore a brother or a sister. It is only someone who is walking by the Spirit that has the power to restore. And that person is described, as in verse 1, as spiritual, with the spirit of gentleness, looking to himself lest he be tempted also. And we saw that the word spiritual means spirit-produced. It is only a spirit-produced person, only someone who is born again, only a true Christian that has the spiritual power to restore another person, And he must do it with a spirit of gentleness and compassion, bearing in mind that the Bible distinguishes between sins that are committed out of stupidity and sins that are deliberate and blatantly committed. Therefore, we must not treat the poor brother that has been caught off guard as if he is an enemy, but as a brother who needs to be restored. And we must do it gently. And third, taking heed of ourselves, not thinking we are above being overtaken by the same sin that has overtaken him. And that is why the Bible tells us time and again that those of us who think we stand should take heed lest we fall. Now, look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So, someone who is walking by the Holy Spirit is so concerned with other people more than himself, particularly other Christians, that he wants to bear and share the burden that other believers have with the hope that by sharing those burdens, they might be lightened or lifted off of that person. The assumption here is that life will be filled with burdens, and burdens are anything that produce pain. Anguish, heartache, stress, pressure, things like tragedy, anything that impedes our Christian lives, infirmities, weaknesses, suffering, wearisome uh, wearisome, unending work, whatever tempts us to sin, whatever induces us to keep on sinning, all of these things are burden that we will have to experience in this life. But... God has provided us a fourfold way of having these burdens removed and lifted and lightened. One, by repentance. A lot of burdens that we face in life, we face because of our own sin. And if we repent of those sins, those burdens will be lifted or be lightened. Secondly, By casting our burdens upon the Lord. That is, by submitting ourselves to His will and His sovereign rule over us, recognizing that everything that happens to us happens for a purpose. That all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. So these burdens are lightened when we cast them on the Lord. That is, when we submit to His will and trust that He will always do what is best for us. The third way by which God lightens our burdens is by the leading, reminding, enabling power of the Holy Spirit with the Word of God in our hearts. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that with every trial and temptation we face in life, God will provide a way of escape, that we may be able to endure it. That as we are studying the Word and living it and filling our hearts and minds with it, then when those burdens come, the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance that learned Word. So we are given comfort. We are given encouragement. We are given guidance from the Holy Spirit's work within us, reminding us at key points in our lives when the burden is the heaviest something from the Word of God that was read or heard on previous occasions. That's why it's important to listen. That's why it's important to be in the Word. Then related to our text, the fourth way God alleviates burdens is by causing brothers and sisters in Christ to share their burdens with each other. And never forget that one of the ways by which the God of all comforts lightens our burdens in this life is through the words of love, the expression of love, a token of love from a Christian brother or sister in Christ. Now, what is the motive for being for bearing one another's burdens? What is the ultimate motivation? We all have our own burdens, so why would we be motivated to take on someone else's? With all of our burdens in life, what motivates the person walking by the Spirit to try and take on himself other burdens and involve himself in the lives of other people to share their burdens to lighten their load? Well, I'll tell you what the ultimate motivation is not. It isn't ultimately the Christian's love for his brother because sometimes we don't love each other very much, do we? There will be times in which we share burdens that each one of us has to bear that we might not like the person very much that we are sharing the burden with. That person may get on our nerves. That person may drive us crazy. But nevertheless, we will involve ourselves in their lives if we are walking in the Spirit, sharing their burdens, trying to lighten them a little bit. And the motivation is not we have this red-hot love for them, although hopefully we have a growing love for them. But verse 2 says this fulfills the law of Christ. The ultimate goal. The ultimate motivation is obedience to Christ, to bear the load of other people, and to enter into their burdens to try and lighten them. We know that is what pleases God. We know that is what He demands of us. We know that is what He wants of us. So the reason we take on other people's burdens in addition to our own is because we know that in doing so, we are fulfilling the law of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and in so doing, we are pleasing the one who said, you are my friends if you keep my commandments. Now that phrase, thus fulfills the law of Christ, is an important one. What I would like you to notice is that here, the Christian life is described as a life in the Spirit, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, a walking, walking according to the rule of the Holy Spirit. But in that great life, we must not lose sight of the fact that the law of God still has a claim on us, which now, by the power of the Spirit, for the first time, we are enabled to obey if you hear anyone out of a reformed tradition explaining the christian life like in a new members class there should be two emphases made time and again about the christian life and that is the role of the holy spirit and the role of the law of god now we've been talking about the holy spirit for several weeks now and We have learned that He enables us to do what Christ commands us to do in His Word. In other words, the demands of God's law have not been relaxed for the person who has been born of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You are living in His power, but do not think now. That the demands of the law of God aren't as great upon you as they were before you were converted. Don't think now that all the Christian has to do is passively yield himself off to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't have to worry about the details of the law of God. You bear one another's burdens and in doing so you are fulfilling the law of Christ. The demands of God have not been relaxed for you, beloved, as a Christian. Rather, they have been intensified. In fact, the New Testament tells us on more than one occasion that a Christian is not less responsible to obey the laws of God now that he is a Christian. He is actually more responsible to obey the laws of God now than he was before. He became a child of God. Because remember... For to whom much is given, much is required. The law of God and its demands upon us have not been relaxed. You and I actually are to go through Scripture and find every single duty we can to perform and every single law we can to obey. I ask you, are you doing that? When was the last time you searched Scripture to see if you are obeying all the laws of God? Or are you afraid? You're not doing something you should be doing or not be doing, and you will need to rearrange your life in order to do it. When was the last time you are to search the word of God to which you are now more responsible to obey than before you became a Christian? To make sure that you are pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ in fulfilling all of his laws. Now, not to make points with him. Not to impress him because you can't impress him. But because you love him. And because the Holy Spirit is motivating you and enabling you to do so. And now you want to do it. And you can't even imagine not living for his glory by obeying his law. The demands of the law of God upon us have not been relaxed. Nothing has changed in that area. But our relationship to the law of God has changed. The law of God, remember, used to condemn us before we were Christians. It actually sealed our doom. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, took the punishment of our sins, lived for us, died for us, And sent His Holy Spirit to break the power of sin and death over us. And now all the demands of the law, the Lord Jesus Christ satisfied as our substitute in our place. And now the Holy Spirit sets us free from our desire to break the law. Not that we are perfect as Christians. But now in our hearts, rather than being rebels, we joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. And now that Christ has saved us, now that he has taken away the condemnation of the law of God that he commanded of us, and now that his Holy Spirit has saved us from the tyranny of sin, the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to us, believers filled with the Holy Spirit, and with his nail-scarred hands, he hands us every moral law in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and says... If you are my friends, out of gratitude to me because of these scars, seek to obey every single one of them. Are you? When Scripture says, obey the law of Christ, let me ask you what that is. It is the entirety of this book. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9? He said, believers are not without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Now, that is not a contrast being drawn in the Greek between the law of God and the law of Christ, as if to say we're no longer under the law of the Old Testament. Now we're under a higher law. My friends, you can't get any higher than the law of God, right? Right? And the law of God is in the Old Testament and in the New. So don't ever think the New Testament offers a higher law than the Old Testament. In fact, that is an insult to the God who is the source of that law.